Hello, and welcome back to the Performance Cycling Podcast. I'm Todd Norwood here with my co-host, Jason Hammond. Hey, how's it going? So, Jason, this week we're going to talk a little bit about base training and the importance of base training. So I'm going to, I'm going to start off with a question, which I think we all know base training is generally about riding slow, is long, slow endurance rides. And so I'm going to start off with this question. Uh, why do I want to ride slow? so I can ride fast later. And on some, some intuitive levels, it doesn't make sense. So let's dive in. Sure. So I think the my first reaction is we know there are three energy systems. And there's the um, creatine phosphate cycle, there's the glycolytic cycle, and the aerobic cycle. Does it have a more formal name than aerobic cycle? That, that works for now. So the glycolytic... Krebs cycle, if you want. Okay. The glycolytic glycolytic cycle is your sub five minute i think 75 seconds is the crossover point where you use more aerobic capacity than anaerobic capacity so any effort over 75 seconds is going to have a significant contribution of the aerobic system training your base is training this system that uses oxygen in order to bolster the the base of these higher intensity exercises so anything that's a shorter effort, say, you know, a minute, two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes is going to be heavily reliant on your aerobic capacity, but your anaerobic capacity is going to give you that top end power. So if you build up the base, it lifts up your capacity to produce that top end power. I think we've talked about this in prior episodes before, which is this idea that if you're doing a maximal effort, you're, you're still doing aerobic effort. Right. The, the watts are still aerobically based at some point, and then it's that anaerobic or those other energy systems that are then taking over to get you to that peak power output. And so the trick with base is to intentionally neglect these other energy systems in order to force your aerobic system to improve as much as possible. And so, of course, we're in this time of year where this makes sense for us to perhaps do some base building in order to prepare for the 2020 season uh, and so thinking through that right now let's say you took your off season you did the appropriate rest things there um, got into you know, reasonable shape healed up any injuries that you might have had uh, hopefully did some things not cycling related yep got the the physical and mental break uh, involved with that where do you start where 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 do i start i just go out and ride slow or what, what does this look like so i think uh, maybe we can Skip ahead to, we were going to talk about some white papers at the end, but um, I think now's a good time to bring up an important white paper. Uh, we'll link it in the show notes, but uh, the summary is that polarized training has a greater impact on key endurance variables than just threshold, just high intensity, or just high volume. So if you were to do, pick one of those three and only train that, you wouldn't get the same endurance effects as if you had polarized your training. So it's important to remember that Despite it being base, you don't only do base. So it's not, what, five days a week of four-hour rides. There does have to be some intensity. I was looking back at some of my own base uh, periods in the past years, and it was a lot of two days a week of sprint training, uh, three days a week of, of long miles, and then uh, two days of lifting, and, and one day recovery, one day off. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... I would say first week back off of your off season, you do have to take it really slow. Um, total hours should be at most eight. Um, we're talking about someone who would train maybe 14, 15 
uh, up to 20 hours in the peak of base in terms of uh, ride time. So you'd start at like half of your total volume and then um, you slowly want to increase, but you want to keep that ratio of a couple snappy days, but a lot of long days so that your total time is 80, 90% of long, slow distance and just a little bit of these harder efforts. I think to be fair, we, we say slow, but in essence, pace doesn't have to be, you know, snail's pace, really, right? You may take some hills out of your ride, but we're not talking about super, super slow here. Actually, there's, you know, what, 55 to 65, maybe even 70% of your uh, your FTP is going to be considered base base level training for these longer rides? Sure. I like to use 50% of VO2 max. That seems to be one, an easy calculation for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And two, uh, just a really good number to really get into that fat burning zone. We talked about that a little bit in the off season weight loss uh, podcast, but this is now during the season. And some of the advantages of base training is increased fat metabolism. Mm -hmm. So that 50% of VO2 max is usually right about the sweet spot for fat metabolism in terms of maximizing that. So you get all these uh, effects sort of uh, building on each other of being able to burn a lot of fat in the base. So this is a good time to lose uh, on bike weight. Um, you also get increased fat metabolism. We talked about this in some of the, I think one of our early podcasts, we talked about uh, food for cycling mm -hmm. and the importance of using fat in longer races because we do only have a certain capacity to store glycogen and carbohydrates so we need to rely on fat so in the base period you learn how to utilize your fat and you can get more total kilojoules out of a race which is usually a big determinant in your success in especially higher level you know four or five hour races you your ability to metabolize fat is really important yeah i think we alluded to it previously so one is losing fat mass but even if you're absolutely the leanest rider out there you still have plenty of energy in fat available to burn, like way, way more than you're going to be, ever be able to store or consume in carbohydrate. And remember, some people who are super lean like that, they actually don't have much capacity to use fat because their diet is so carb heavy and their energy systems are so carb heavy that their total kilojoules decreases. That's why, you know, it's possible for the human body to get down to, you know, three, two percent body fat, but why are Tour de France cyclists? you know, stopping at six. It's because, you know, eventually you start to get some dysfunction. So um, I think that it's important to train your fat burning system, even if you are very lean. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just such a incredibly rich source of fuel for us that we already have on board. Yeah. And so there, there's really no reason, you know, I guess we, you know, you talk, okay, well, I can have, you know, extra body fat and then I'm just carrying it around. It's not really doing me a whole lot of good when it comes to a power to weight ratio. But on the flip side, okay, I'm, I'm lean, I'm whatever, 7-8% body fat uh, if you're at a very high level. Now I'm just carrying around fuel that I can use to power my performance. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about base in general. What are some of the improvements we're looking to gain in the body? So I, I have a short list here. We want to improve oxygen transportation to the muscles. Mm -hmm. So because we're only straining the aerobic system, we're working on that pathway and we're reinforcing that pathway to get oxygen into the muscles. You also get a larger stroke volume. Your stroke volume is how much blood your your heart can push for a single pump. Mm -hmm. So this is good because you get more total circulation. So of course that's faster oxygen to the muscles. 
You also have less lactate formation, uh-huh. and that's because for a given VO2 max interval, you are using a higher proportion of your aerobic system, so you have less lactate production. But also you have improved rate of lactate removal and reuse. So this is something that's only been researched recently, I believe, but we've learned that lactate's actually reused as an aerobic fuel. Mm-hmm. And so training at this zone two, uh, 50% of VO2 max area allows us to train our bodies to utilize that lactic acid. And we're not going to be producing much lactic acid for the first, you know, three months or two or three months of base. But once you do start producing lactic acid, your body is ready to process it because you've trained this aerobic system so well. And then lastly, both your capillary density and mitochondrial density increase, which I don't think anyone's going to say, oh, I wish my mitochondria was a little less dense. No, and that's huge, right? That's where the energy is being processed in the cell- at the cellular level. And that's so important as far as the aerobic system goes, right? That's where oxygen goes in and energy comes out. Mm-hmm. So I think the more the more mitochondria, the, the better off we are, the more efficient we're going to be able to be with our aerobic system. So another thing to note with base is it takes a really long time. That's the big thing about aerobic base. That's something that a lot of junior riders, um, they're emphasized by their coaches or whoever's helping them develop. You need to develop this aerobic base because it Mm -hmm. takes years and years. And if you start when you're 16 and you train it for four years, you're going to be pretty well off. If you only do VO2 max intervals for those four years, your aerobic system's not going to change much at all. And Mm -hmm. you're going to be lagging behind your other riders who are developing at the same age as you. So it's really important to put the time in to do your base because of the effects in a few years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everyone wants to be a cat one next year, but in reality, cycling is a really slow sport and we have to have slow but steady progression. And base is all about, you know, let's get the volume done in the right zone and get the right stimulus on our body and just slowly get better at it. Yeah, pa- patience and it doesn't feel glamorous or exciting or even like it's going to make you progress because it is slowing. There's no, it's nowhere near the pace of a race. Mm-hmm. So in terms of what your workouts should look like or what your week should look like, we talked about it a little bit, but I think three, maybe four uh, endurance rides of the length should be the length of your longest race. So if you're a newer rider and your road races are two, two and a half hours because of you know, as a cat four or cat three, they don't give you the longest mm-hmm. races. You shouldn't train any longer than that, uh, partially because if you are a newer rider and you are a cat three or a cat four, you probably can't handle the volume as well because you are maybe in your first few years of de- your development or you haven't been training hard for uh, the years that you have been working. But also, um, your total ride volume should match your development as a rider. Mm-hmm. So we don't want to push it too hard and risk injury or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that makes perfect sense. Well, of course that, that makes perfect sense if you're not super ambitious and come from the, uh, the mindset of more is better. Right? And that's where having a coach to temper your expectations and give you that guidance is crucial. Sure. And I've said this before and, I've, I've only realized this recently. Unfortunately, I've been racing for six or seven years now, and it's only clicked maybe in the last year that it's not more, it's not less, it's the right amount. Mm-hmm. And I think for base, you know, try for that three times a week. It's 
for some writers. Um, we can talk about master's writers separately. You should remind me uh, for later on. But um, most writers, three times a week for the length of your longest race is good. And then you have four other days. One of those should be an off-the-bike day. Mm-hmm. Don't look at your bike on that day, except maybe clean it. It's a good idea. Uh, if, if we all cleaned our bike on our off day, I think the world would be a happier place. But on those other two days, one should be a sprint day. At the beginning of your base, uh, I would not do any threshold training. Um, And throughout the base, probably the first two, two and a half months of base, you shouldn't touch VO2 max either. Um, So you can start slow, but, you know, after the first month, you should add maybe one threshold or sweet spot day. And then um, you should also look into lifting, which we're going to talk about in a little bit as well. So you mentioned the polarized paper, and I was just just thinking about that a little bit. And I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna propose a reason why this works better, um, just from a mechanistic standpoint. Okay, so the paper suggests that only doing VO2 max and and high volume, low intensity, as opposed to so basically don't do threshold training is mm-hmm. what the paper suggested. And so one of the things you know, from different papers I've read than the understanding that I've taken away with is when you do your aerobic training, your base level training, that's about, as you mentioned before, increasing the density, the number, the volume of mitochondria. Uh, when you start to talk about this more high intensity VO2 max level training, the effect on the mitochondria there is different. It doesn't increase volume. It increases the efficiency at which the mitochondria work. Right, so you're you're sort of training two things that ultimately lead to better endurance, more mitochondria, and then that's from doing the long aerobic rides, and then ultimately more efficient mitochondria by having the high intensity VO2 level work in there as well. I had rationalized it as um, your VO2 max is exhausting the anaerobic system, so mm-hmm. that's going to try to adapt and the four-hour riding, you know, the, the base miles is going to improve the, your aerobic capacity. Mm-hmm. So it it seems to indicate that perhaps threshold or sweet spot training is maybe too intense for its value. Um, so the amount of power, the amount of force and energy and exhaustion you're putting on your body does not translate into improvements in aerobic capacity that you would expect. I think that you know, four-hour rides, base miles are tough, but your ability to do a workout the next day is a lot better than, you know, your threshold workout day. For sure. For sure. And I think even just the mental part of doing a four-hour ride, I can convince myself to ride long. Well, we're also spoiled because we're, you know, in a very beautiful area. Fair fair enough. Um, sometimes doing the hard is, well, it's hard, right? Yeah. It can be really tough to do threshold and you want to make sure you're mentally prepared. And that's probably not the first thing to do back after uh, your off season. So another thing that you can add in uh, into your base miles is a little bit of tempo hills. So zone three on hills, it shouldn't be uh, too low cadence, but you could do 60, 70 cadence for, you know, we, we have 20 minute climbs here. So um, you could do it for 10 minutes at a time, but the whole point of this is to get some muscular endurance. Mm-hmm. So these lower cadence exercises, so, you know, do 60 cadence for 10 minutes in zone three, something like that will 
improve your your muscles capacity to withstand fatigue mm-hmm. and you don't want to do this at really high intensities because you're going to smoke your legs but this zone three seems to be um, the right balance between uh, getting the stimulus you want to improve your muscles ability to resist fatigue but also not you know jamming them for the rest of the day i think that's that's appropriate because right? given you we talked about this in the um the quadrant analysis episode so you don't want to just be able to pedal at 90 rpms you need to have a range because racing is going to give you a range of different force requirements as you go throughout the day whether it's you know accelerating out of a corner or it's climbing a hill or it's, you know accelerating from a slow speed you need to be able to produce the different forces required and move your legs at those different speeds so i think this also lends that skill element to it. So your body isn't just, you know, a machine that does 90 RPMs. And if it's not 90 RPMs, you're in a world of hurt. Sure. And now that you mention it, uh, this is also a great time to do dedicated skills training. So whether you want to include some cadence drills at the beginning of your rides, if you want to focus on your descents and make sure that you really hit the corners in the right way, we have an episode on descending. If you want to pull that one back up, base is a good time to practice these things. Sometimes you'll just... Uh, some of my routes, it's, uh, there's actually one really good route where the last half hour is mostly downhill. And so, you know, you do your four hour ride and you get to the top and okay, you get home at four and a half hours, but that last half hour is just descending training and corners work and a little bit of sauntering home for your big dinner. Um, but something like that is a great opportunity to practice, you know, your speed skills or any other skills that you might need as a rider. Yeah. Pedaling technique breathing, all those, all those little things, um, to think about, you know, we talked about this many times before this idea of there's practice and then there's focused and engaged practice and, you know, find, find things to engage in that are on the skill level. Not, you're not just pedaling for four hours, but make it purposeful and intent driven. Another, or hopefully we don't get too far off topic, but riding, um, directly on the white line can be a really good drill as well. Just thought of and uh, gives you good control of your bike mm-hmm. whether so it's actually easier at faster speeds to ride mm-hmm. directly on the line so uh, try and do it up a hill and see if you can stay on the line tell you about your pedaling technique too a little bit yeah um, you start to sway side to side and like if you're leaning off the bike at all or anything mm-hmm. so the last thing i have about base training is but before we talk about masters riders is your base miles if you don't have any sprints or any speed skill training in general your variability this is the vi value that Mm -hmm. training peaks gives you it should be less than 1.05 and the way that the vi is defined uh, not rigidly but sort of holistically defined is below 1.05 is considered a well-paced time trial so your base miles should basically be a time trial at 50% VO2 max. And if you're lucky enough to live in somewhere where the terrain is willing to give you that, just sit right at that number. And, you know, maybe it'll go up a couple watts or down a couple watts. After maybe a couple rides, you'll get really good at just hitting that number. You just hold it for four hours and eat, you know, eat your food, stop every once in a while, but just hold that number. And hopefully you're listening to our podcast or, uh, Maybe another podcast or music, maybe, or don't use headphones. Take it, taking in nature, what what have you? Yeah. And so, just for reference, right, that the variability index is looking at the difference between your average power and your um, what's it normalized, normalized power. power. Yep. 
So a uh, crit is like 1.3, I believe. Yeah, and mountain biking is, I want to say, like 1.4, 1.5, yeah. typically. So let's talk about Masters Riders. So should Masters Riders do base? I mean, I think that probably depends on, one, when they started, right? If you were, uh, I don't know, if you didn't do an aerobic sport and you got into cycling at, you know, age 35, yeah, you probably absolutely need to do base. If you're, I, I would argue in favor of base for, you know, all, all around, but you may just shorten it. That's my, my perspective. Hmm. I think something, an interesting uh, thing to think about is some master master's riders who are crit riders. Um, some riders are, you know, they maybe come from a more strength focused background and they're, you know, there's this 45 year old power dad, as mm-hmm. they call them. Do they need base? I mean, they're, they're racing for 45 minutes. It's actually not that fast in the pack. You have a lot of drafting, you have a lot of circulation, but there are spurts of really high intensity. Is this inherently aerobic? Well, I mean, the effort isn't aerobic in and of itself, right? If you're accelerating, that's not aerobic. But as we said earlier, the foundation of it is, mm-hmm. right? And if you need to clear lactate, that's a that's a process that is built uh, from the aerobic system. Sure. I guess everyone... I, I can't really think of a group that wouldn't benefit from the aerobic uh, advantages that you'd get from base training. I, mean, I think if you have, if your aerobic base is low, then you're putting more strain on the other systems. And unless you just happen to have some weird, you know, awesome physiology that's really great at managing that, having a better aerobic base is going to help most people. Yeah, it is interesting. Riders who are very good at VO2 max intervals, like some, someone like, I remember reading about different sports and the average athlete's VO2 max capacity, not VO2 max, lactate capacity. Like lactate shuttling or? Or like uh, how many millimoles per milliliter okay. they yep. could withstand before yep. they uh, crapped out. So, you know, a Tour de France rider, like a GC contender is like eight mm-hmm. and a swimmer is you know 16 mm-hmm. or a crew um a rower yep. is, is also super high up there as well because their efforts are you know, six eight yep. minutes yep so someone who is a crit rider they need that capacity to have really high uh, lactate buffering mm-hmm. but can you get the same value out of your aerobic training so you know, what percent of this 90 second effort is, is anaerobic and what percent is aerobic and can you achieve the same number, but just more aerobically is the, there's, you know, definitely this balance here. And, you know, some people hate the base miles. Some people don't have time for the base miles. If you're just a crit rider, it's probably possible to overcome those aerobic limitations with just really, really good lactate buffering. I think that's, I think that's fair. Um, I, you do wonder, right, could you squeeze out 25 more watts in your sprint if you had a little bit better aerobic base and there was a little, a little bit more left in the, you know, the tank for the short-term energy systems come the end of the race? Sure. It's, it's hard to know. And I, I'm, I assume there's a lot of factors. The other group that might not need base are these master's riders who have been doing their base training for the last 20 years. Sure. And that's because, so your anaerobic capacity can be built up in six weeks. Mm -hmm. So during the season or just before the season starts, you would start doing VO2 max intervals. Six weeks of VO2 max intervals, you've basically 
peaked out that system. You won't see much improvement from there. So your aerobic system, like we said, it takes years to build up, but it also takes years to decay. Mm -hmm. So if you've been doing your base every winter for the last 20 years, if you skip one year of base, you might not even notice. Uh, maybe you'll notice a bit, but you know, a 5%, 2% drop in aerobic capacity is probably all you would you would have. Right. And if you're living doing 45 minute, 50 minute crits, that may be, you know, relative to the power you need to put out, come out of corners, accelerating a sprint, that 5% reduction in your aerobic capacity may be so trivial you don't even know. Sure. So those are the two groups. You have to decide for yourself where the value is. I would say for anyone who is just starting and anyone who's looking to do anything beyond crits or track riding, you really should take the time to invest in your aerobic capacity. It's going to take forever. It's one of those things that's like, man, I should have started this last year mm -hmm. sort of things. And every year you put it off, you're neglecting, you know, it's a five-year investment or a four-year investment. So, you know, just put the, put the time in now so that you have the option to continue it next year. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I think that's, as we've talked about, you know, in prior episodes about the long-term development of a cycling athlete. It's a long-term process. You don't go from you know zero to hero overnight. Again, if you had the good benefit of maybe a, a running background or a crew background, maybe you might. But, or cross-country skiing. Yeah, is the, the other one. Yeah, but for the most part, uh, most of us don't just show up one day and grab a bike and all of a sudden they're fantastic. And I would also argue it's probably better to go slowly and make sure that you're using your body correctly, you're training correctly. Mm -hmm. A lot of riders who come up really fast, they implode just as quickly. So yep. finding that right balance. And, you know, there's a reason the UCI says you have to hire a certain number of young riders. It's because all these old riders are the actual, you know, fast ones. They're the ones who can really handle it. And you don't become an old pro, you know, by accident. So, yep. um, Calm down and don't uh, don't expect to be winning any, uh, you know, cat one crits next year, but um, just slowly progress in the direction you want to go. Yeah, I think that's and that's huge. I think the, the patience because it's base training doesn't pay its dividends right away. Uh, the, the dividends come just a, a lot further down the road than I don't know our, our society and our instant gratification makes us want them to come. Yeah. I remember reading an article, I think it was the Arsenal manager or maybe Liverpool manager who said, um, we don't want all-stars, we want boring people. We want you to go home from training and we want you to sit on your couch and we want you to go to bed early and we want you to wake up tomorrow and go to training. And base training is a lot like that. Um, go to your four-hour rides, go lay around, eat enough carbs for the next ride, go do that ride, go lay around. Yeah, I think this is not the only place you see this in sports. I think I think this is common across a lot of different sports. In the soccer example, uh, it's just soccer in general is just such a long development cycle from <clears throat> starting to play to actually getting to a, a very elite level. And, and you know, for the most part, there's always the one story about the one guy or gal that picked up the ball and all of a sudden was a superstar. These are few and far between, and they're usually sports where there's some inherent physical advantage like i think like basketball if you just happen to be incredibly tall you got pretty good odds that you can make it work in basketball because you're so close to the hoop 
Uh, Dennis Rodman's the classic example. He didn't play basketball until somebody saw he was incredibly tall in junior college and like, hey, do you want to try playing basketball? And then a couple of years later, he's a pro and now a Hall of Famer. Those don't happen in most sports, right? On the flip side in basketball, his teammate Michael Jordan got cut from his freshman high school team. So, you know, uh, just you got to just like both within the base season and within your development as a cyclist, suck it up, admit that this is a long-term investment and wait for the dividends down the road. Sure. I I like cycling. I I did play soccer as a, um, as a junior and you only played kids your age. You only played, you know, kids in your state or your local area. And when you do cycling and you get your cat three, oh man, I'm a cat three. I'm really good. And you do your first, you know, P one, two, three race and you get absolutely demolished. It's a great way to show you the capacity riders have if they're patient and continue develop to develop. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of unique to the sport, but I think some people are, they say, why can't I do that next year? Well, because that person's been trying to do that for the last eight years. Right. And I stuck with it and they made it. There's a certain amount of attrition, right? Of people that I want to do this next year. Like, well, that's not going to happen. Okay. Well, this isn't for me. Mm-hmm. So... And also, I find bass really relaxing as well. Uh, it is light enough that you don't have to work that hard, but you're still training. It feels it's it's an opportunity to remember why you like riding your bike. It's an opportunity to go explore new areas, as long as they're not too hilly or too um, rolling. Some I remember exploring Massachusetts uh, as a in college, and every road we were on was either uphill or downhill, and not like two percent uphill like 10% uphill and it's like this is not base there's there's no base here that's your high intensity part of your base yeah in just uh, not a four-hour ride <laughs> in february so um i think that's all i have the only other thing i have is a white paper on um low intensity endurance training helping with um, markers of coronary heart disease so that's maybe not quite as performance focused but as we talked about in the hip mobility podcast, um, there are reasons to be a cyclist other than to win a bike race. And uh, doing your base and improving your aerobic capacity has long-term benefits to your overall health as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, so, of course, we, we mentioned we were going to talk about uh, weightlifting uh, as a, a separate episode. But if we're talking about health benefits, I think independent of where we land on the performance benefits of weightlifting, the long-term health for that is bone density. Which is a known a known problem for for cyclists, especially master cyclists. Yeah, I think that in itself is a good enough argument that you should be doing uh, weight training because if you're going to ride for nine months out of the year or eleven months out of the year, you need to spend a little bit of time convincing your body to strengthen your bones. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we said we were going to talk about strength training. So we have a few white papers that um, provide some interesting perspectives and an interesting discussion on strength training. But we're going to talk about that in our next episode. So I hope this was a good teaser for base, and I hope you go enjoy your long rides. They're nice. I think they're relaxing. Um, go find a couple buddies to joke around with while you're riding. And uh, Todd, as you always say. Until next time, thanks for listening, and keep the rubber side down. <laughs>